Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Uh, I'm Gavi. I'm here with my BFF. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm Sadie. What are we talking about today? So today we are back again with an episode that the people have been begging for. The people have been clamoring for. We give the people what they want. That's what we do here. Mostly. Yeah. (laughs) So we are going to give you today the rundown on the Plath family. Woo! Yeah. And I have to say, I started researching for this episode with very little idea of who the Plaths were. And (gasps) this went some interesting directions that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, we we were thinking about doing one on the Bates. We were thinking, you know... And we were like, we we really should cover one of these reality TV fundy families that aren't the Duggars. And then, you know, we saw the news about uh, Barry and uh, Kim getting divorced. We said, well, we should talk about them. So we decided to talk about them. But, you know, when Sadie started telling me about this, I kind of got the impression that they were just going to be like the dollar store Duggars. But they're really not. Yeah, I expected the same thing. And I think I was confusing the plots with the Bates, who are kind of the Wish.com version of the Duggars. The Duggars are Coca-Cola, right? The Bates are going to be like Safeway brand cola. But the Plaths are Pepsi. So Pepsi is not as hyped, okay? Not as popular. But they have their own thing going. Okay, like quite honestly, I prefer Pepsi to Coke. Ew. Really? Yeah, that that I, is I'm sorry, that's not correct. <laughs> is that a controversial take right there? Um, I don't know if it's controversial. I just know it's wrong. <laughs> At some point I'm gonna talk to you about 
the Pepsi challenge because that is like the like it definitively proves that I'm right. Anyway, the like I think the the biggest difference between the Plaths and the Duggars, um, and you know I've watched quite a bit of both at this point, is that with the Plaths you can actually kind of stand some of them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like the Duggars, who are you really gonna root for? There's no one really for like the thing that you're gonna root for somebody to do is get out and change everything about their life. Yeah, like there are Duggars that I am sort of a fan of now. Like I like Jill and Ginger now, but Jill and Ginger were absolutely insufferable on the show. Yeah, and even if you like kind of like Jill and Ginger, you can't really like i can't like like, yeah i can't wholeheartedly support them until they're done uh you know hate the sin love the centering on gay people but with the plasma like i like mariah man mariah's fun micah's fun like and and you could see them going on their journey they're changing their lives you're just like you know what i love the way that things are going for you you're really like you can really root for these guys a lot more easily than you can root for anyone on, on the, the Duggar show, except for like cousin Amy, who just like shows up every once in a while to just be like, this is crazy. Cousin Amy is cousin. Amy is like the biggest roller coaster of, I love her. I hate her. I love her. I hate her. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. She's so problematic on Twitter. God. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I guess what you're, what you're kind of referencing is that welcome to Plathville is not, this show about a big family that's trying to put on a facade of it's all good. Look how happy and holy we are like the Duggars, uh, 19 kids and counting are counting on. This is actually a show about deconstruction and family dynamics. And there is actual conflict in this show. See, that's the thing with the du- like with the Duggars. My biggest impression was that, like conflict in the Duggar fa- in that family. Conflict is illegal. You know, like, well, literally, yeah, that was part of part of their rules for the family was that they they didn't have conflict between each other. And like in 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 Plathville, do you mind if I Mormon swear a, a little bit? Oh, go uh, ahead. Yeah, in 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 Plathville, crud gets spicy, um, and you have to like you have to you don't have to be able to read through six levels of fundy subtext and double speak to understand what's actually going on. That's true. Uh, I do pick up some fundy subtext in Welcome to Plathville. And spoiler alert for the listeners, um, we started planning this episode and we were almost done planning the episode and we realized that we still had that much material again. So it was going to have to be a two-part episode. (laughs) Um, So part one, we're going to talk about background on the family, kind of who they are, what their beliefs might be. And then part two, we're going to go through the actual events of the reality show Welcome to Plathville. I do, when we get into next week, I do have some little, oh, that phrase. I know where that phrase comes from, and that's fundy subtext. I have some stuff like that for you next week. Um, But yeah, it is a lot more cut and dried on uh, Welcome to Plathville. And then another difference from the Duggars that we are going to talk about today is that the Plaths are a lot more discreet about religion on their show. Religion is definitely a part of the show, but... The Duggars, it was more frequent, it was more constant. And you can just Google the Duggars and find out everything about IBLP. 
You can find pictures of them and videos of them at ATI and IBLP events. The baits are a little more closed mouth about this. They do quote scripture. They do talk about prayer. But religious activities aren't shown nearly as much as they were on the now-canceled Duggar shows. In fact, it's a little difficult to find out exactly what religion the Platts belong to other than broadly evangelical Christianity. Right, because on the Duggars, you can just Google Duggar family blog and they have just a list of these are the parenting books that we co-sign these are like the religion books that we co-sign these are the educational materials that we co-sign and they'll just put it all right out there and i I have a theory about why the plaths don't talk about this is the denomination or this is the type of christianity that we subscribe to um i have a theory about that and i'm going to tell you what it is in this episode Yeah, uh, Sadie, uh, who like I am really proud of her for doing like it, it was it was actually quite a bit of effort and quite a bit of digging that she had to do. Um, but she was able to actually find out some new information about them. I don't know if um, if we've been able to find that information out before uh, or, or if it's been made publicly available. Yeah, like I've seen so much speculation about, oh, well, are the plots independent fundamental Baptist or are they IBLP? Uh, And I've seen so many people claim to know the answer to those questions, but with no proof. I was able to find something closer to proof. So today's episode is going to be kind of like an overview. So even if you're like, if you're new to the family, if you're new to whatever is going on here, then this will be great for you. Even if you're a diehard, though, there is new information in here that you probably haven't heard before. So if you are, what what do fans of the Plath call themselves? Uh, uh, Plathies? Plathites? Plathtafarians, like I, <laughs> I don't know. I like Plathtafarians. Yeah. So if you're if you're a Plathtafarian, then there's some new info for you here. So basically, what I was able to do is use some Fundy inside baseball knowledge of you know knowledge of Fundy buzzwords, and I couldn't connect the Plaths to one specific church or one camp of independent fundamental Baptist world. But I was able to put some clues together and at least narrow down their location within the, you know, the spider web of fundamentalism and get I think I was able to get closer than the Internet in general has been able to so far. Yeah. So today is going to be part one of our two part episode. Um, Make sure you subscribe because so next week isn't going to be part two. Next week is going to be a different episode in which we tell you how to like if you're raised in fundamentalism and you want to learn how to do various things we're going to do a series of episodes based on that so next week is going to be the first one of those we're going to talk about how to date so how to learn how to like go out go on a date try to get into a relationship with somebody maybe if you are outside of fundamentalism now when you were raised in that and you have no context for how to do that it's going to be a really fun episode we're going to talk about you know just being comfortable around other people we're going to talk about consent we're going to talk about all of that good stuff and just learning how to suss that stuff out but then the week after that is when we are going to come back with part two of our plathville special yeah well we have to wait we have to wait an extra week to finish the plath episode episodes because the the end of season four will be happening between the time that we are recording this and the time that part two will air 
Yeah, I want to know what's going to happen with the divorce. I don't know what's going to happen. Like we, like right. we don't so know. So we're we're going to give you the background now, and then once the last episode of the season airs, we'll come back with a recap of the show so far. Before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast mainly about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, which is the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real. Th- and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there are several things that you can do. You can go and you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast, where you will find bonus content, including extended versions of most of our episodes. Uh, You can also find where Sadie actual cult survivor talks about what she thinks of the handmaid's tale she she has a uh, several pieces written about that which i think were very good uh the other thing you can do you can join our facebook group which is facebook.com slash groups slash eden exodus you can join our subreddit which is reddit.com slash r slash eden exodus both of these are places where you can talk about our show and religion and related topics with other fans. Sadie, is there anything that I'm forgetting about that I need to talk about? Uh, Well, we need to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. Uh, I also, I have to thank Riff Raff Sleep Toys. Um, They sent me a sleep toy for Chuck. It's Clover the Bunny. It's incredibly adorable and it plays music that is scientifically supposed to put babies to sleep. Oh, is that the bunny toy she has? Have I seen that one? Yeah, the little, the really soft, it has her name on it. They customized it for me. Very cute. (laughs) They So they say that this song is like scientifically proven to put babies to sleep and I was like, yeah, right, sure, whatever. And then I just gave her this bunny toy to play with and she turned on the music uh, right before her bedtime and she started falling asleep in her play area which she never does so i think the scientifically proven thing is actually correct look man getting your daughter to sleep like when you want her that's like a superpower (laughs) that's like holy that's that's incredible (laughs) i'll have a a link to them on my Instagram if you want to check them out. But they sent me a real cute toy for Chuck, and I appreciate that. So thank you to Riff Raff. That's amazing. Um, I need to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, the people who really keep the lights on for us. You know, you guys, uh, we love all our patrons, but the Faith Promise Missions tier patrons are the people that go the extra mile. And your names are Alex Todd, Anisha Patel, Brittany, Brooke Tully, Carrie R, Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Emery Fairlosser, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen Kacharski, Jessica Tambo, Kay Terwee, Catherine Schneider, Kathleen Moncrief, Kristen Marie, Linda Morgan, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Cusick, Mary Martin, Megan Arendt, Mike Smith, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, a Reverend Robert Stutz, Sadie's actual BFF Morgan, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Stephanie Johnson, Tiffany Enderby, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. 
Yeah, thank you so thank much. You, thank you so much to all of our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons in particular, but to all of our patrons who keep the lights on and keep this show running. We appreciate you so much. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, uh, I can give you our trigger warning for this episode. Uh, in general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering epi- potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we mention at least a few of these topics, but what we try to do, there's really no way to avoid being triggering on this show. But what we try to do is we try to avoid graphic detail of any of that, unless it's incredibly relevant to the story that we're telling, unless it's a necessary detail. And we do our best to give the audience a heads up if we do feel like we need to go into detail on any of those things. In this particular episode, we're briefly, briefly going to be talking about the death of a young child. I will give you a heads up before I talk about what transpired. We're going to go into a lot more depth on parental abuse and alienation, parents using younger children as weapons against older children, talking about quote-unquote rebellious children and that sort of thing. This episode's also going to be pretty heavy on the early deconstruction struggles. Thank you so much for that. Um, Sadie, I think we need to start this episode off by hitting the big news, the big recent news, and that is that Kim and Barry Plath, the two parents um, of, of the Plath family, they are getting and divorce, which is surprising to me because I was under the impression that because they are Christian fundamentalists, divorce is highly discouraged. It absolutely is. But the Plaths have a very long history of doing exactly what they want and following the fundy rules when it suits them or benefits them, but completely ignoring the fundy rules when they just don't want to follow them. That's a good bit of what this part one background episode is going to be about. So saying that they're getting a door, that's a good jumping off point. That is like a pattern of behavior. Yeah. So the fact that they're getting a divorce isn't surprising in the first place because the entire family has been falling apart at the seams for like four years now because of several factors, but the biggest one being Kim's control issues. So why don't you take us through the the family and introduce us to everybody? So the parents are Kim and Barry. Mm -hmm. Who are the kids? So they have nine living children, and I'm going in age order here. Ethan, Hosanna, Micah, Mariah, Lydia, Isaac, Amber, Cassia, and Mercy. Ethan, just to give you an idea of their ages, Ethan is 24 now and married his wife, Olivia, in 2018. So they got married at 20. Uh, Hosanna also got married young. She's 23 now, and she married Timothy Noble in 2019. Micah and Mariah are young adults. I think Micah just turned 21 earlier this year. Mariah is 19 or 20. Lydia just turned 18. Micah turned 21. We saw his birthday party. We're going to okay. get to it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> so Lydia just recently turned 18. Uh, and then Isaac, Amber, Cassia, and Mercy are still minors. Oh, the Platts did have one more child. Uh, his name is Joshua. And he tragically died in a farming accident when he was one year old. That's horrible. It is. It Ooh. is awful. It is awful. It gets so much worse. Um, so trigger warning again, this is the only place in the episode where I'm going to talk about the details of his death at all. But I am going to go over it here because um, it's it's important background to Kim's story. 
So Kim was working on the family farm in Georgia with all of her young kids running around while she was doing farm work. She was pregnant with Amber at the time. So Joshua is between Isaac and Amber in the order of the children. Uh, Amber was born in early 2009, but this happened in fall of 2008. Kim was doing farm work. She thought she checked um, before she moved the car, but Joshua, the one-year-old, somehow got in the way of the car and she accidentally ran her kid over with the SUV. I do want to be clear. um, I see absolutely no reason to think that this is a Dave Hiles slash Brenda Hiles situation. I don't see any reason to be suspicious about this. I truly do think it was just a terrible, terrible accident. This is like the time you hear about accidents like this happening a lot. Like kids, like you you have a kid, they don't stay in one place. You put them somewhere no. and then you look away for a second and they're like off so- doing something that's dangerous and they don't know it's like. So, I mean, I, I, and if you're in the car, you know, the kids can be playing around. The, they just won't notice. They won't get out of the way, especially trucks, SUVs. If they don't have backup right. cameras. They're hard to see out of, hard to see around. So, Right. And at the time, she had seven children under the age of 10. And they're all running. She homeschooled. So they're all present. And they're all running around while trying to do farm work. Yeah. So that That's a lot of kids to check for. Now, I wish this hadn't happened. I wish... Maybe Kim had thought to have the baby inside the vehicle in a car seat, but I I don't see this as, I don't see this as her fault. Seven small kids is a lot for anyone to keep track of. Farm work is dangerous. Like it's, it's, uh, it's almost as dangerous as like working in the timber industry, working on like a fishing boat. Yeah. Uh, far, Far, like farm work, very dangerous job. Yeah. That's how I have, um, a lot of relatives with nine fingers or, uh, you know, so-and-so got kicked in the head by a mule and was never quite the same. I, there's there's plenty of that in my family. Yeah. A couple of generations back. So I do really think this influenced the way that Kim and Barry chose to raise their children. They weren't on TV yet at the time. So it's hard to know exactly how much changed after Joshua's death, but we know that they were pretty, quote unquote, crunchy and strict even before this happened. The kids had never tasted soda. They had had very little processed food. Kim and Barry were already planning on raising their kids with little access to the outside world and culture before they went through this tragic event. I do think that this pushed Kim further into feeling like she needed control. And I get that. I can tell you from personal experience, when you experience an event or a tragedy that makes you realize that you do not have as much control over the world as you like to think you do, it can really, really make you want to crack down and control the things that you can. We've mentioned this concept, like the whole adverse life experiences and how it it can push people into fundamentalism. We've mentioned that before. Um, we do have concrete plans to actually record a whole episode on that concept because it's it's really interesting. Yeah, there um, are a lot of people that we've already talked about on the show and a lot of people we haven't talked about on the show yet who fit this pattern. 
Yeah. So it's, it's kind of similar to the the whole Jim Bob and uh, Michelle Duggar uh, miscarriage, pushing them further into fundamentalism as well. That's kind of yes, the connection exactly. that I see. Yeah. And this is something we see in uh, quite a few Fundy families. But Kim and Barry definitely wanted to control almost every aspect of their children's lives. They controlled their diet, but they also homeschooled. They did home church, which we're going to talk about in a minute. They kept their kids isolated from music, movies, even people outside the family. This is definitely going overboard, even for Fundy standards. But I really think this stemmed from the trauma of losing a child in such a terrible way. Yeah. Well, I'm and like even outside of fundamentalism, um, overprotective parenting was really common and and like really pushed in the 90s and the 2000s like there and and, and you know this you, you're a parent you know this there, there is an entire cottage industry that is largely devoted to profiting off of the anxieties of parents you know i think it's i think it's very normal for parents to have anxiety about kids safety other parents really have anxiety about their kids' growth or their kids' mental development or speech development or any of a number of things, the, the kids' health. I I think the Plaths started off right on the edge of what I would call overboard as far as being protective. And then um, something pushed them well past the line of what I would call overboard. Uh, and I, I think it was probably the death of their child. The only access that the kids had to anything at all outside the family was through their performances as part of the family band. So the Plus had a band and all of the older children, once they were old enough, would play in it. They'd play instruments and sing. They actually made uh, quite a few CDs uh, and they traveled from church to church and performed for other churches. I can say that at least the family band is a lot higher quality than most of the family bands that you would hear coming out of fundamentalism. I would 100% rather listen to the Plaths than, say, the Duggars music. Did you did you take a listen to any of their songs? Yeah, let me put a song in right here. I'm oh, gonna, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. Keep on So as you can hear, like the harmonies are good, musicianship is good. Yeah, all these stuff. Like it is a lot more pleasant to listen to if that is the kind of music that you want to listen to than the Duggars. I'm just saying. So I mentioned at the top of the episode that the Plaths tended to accept and embrace some parts of Fundy rules, but also make their own rules. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about some areas where we really see that and. One is in dress code. The dress code the dress code is always interesting to look at because it's become almost like a you know, like a test for people that that we've kind of implemented in our analysis of how fundy this person is or where they sit. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like it's almost like the fundy equivalent of like the Bechdel test. Well, you know? in, in fundy world, it very much is that how you dress broadcasts to other fundamentalists exactly who you are and who you associate with. 
When I was still in Fundy World, I could draw so much information about a person from their clothing alone. Even, not even uh, women's or feminine clothing, even in men's clothing, which is much less tightly controlled, um, I could pull a lot of information about a person by whether he was wearing a white shirt or a collared shirt, whether he was wearing short sleeves or long sleeves, whether he had buttons on his collar or not, the cut of his jeans, uh, what somebody, what kind of shoes someone is wearing. That all says a lot. It is, it is so coded and so important that even clothing that is less tightly controlled still says a lot about a person. So with women, so with, with like the, the women we're looking for, we're like what? Skirts, yes or no, and skirt length, necklines, sleeve length, uh, how tight or fitted the, sh- the clothing is, number of piercings in their ears, hair color, hairstyle, jewelry style, amount of jewelry, makeup style, tanning, shoes, whether or not they're wearing hose, even the, the materials that someone wears can say something. Like, hmm. do you wear lace? Or do you wear silk? When I was growing up, Fundy, um, to explain the lace thing, I couldn't wear, I could wear like a button down shirt, like a tuxedo style shirt. Those were kind of in style when I was, when I was a Fundy teen. So like a tuxedo style shirt that has lace ruffles on the front is fine. A skirt with a lace ruffle at the bottom is probably fine. But I couldn't wear anything with a lace overlay that showed skin under the lace because that's too seductive. I also couldn't do anything with a lace overlay where if it had a backing material that might look like skin, that's still too seductive. So you can tell what somebody's religious beliefs are specifically by what they're wearing. Uh, It's not a direct correlation. It's not like... Oh, that person is wearing um, a skirt that's trimmed in black lace. Clearly, they believe in ransom atonement. Um, It's not like that direct, but that person is wearing a skirt that is trimmed in black lace without an overlay or an underlay of material. They must be this particular camp of Fundy. And I know that this particular camp of Fundy typically believes this set of beliefs. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I can tell you're a Hiles Midwest Fundy, or you're a Hiles Camp California Fundy, or you're a Pensacola Christian College brand Fundy, or you are ATI. I could also pick out the IFB from anyone else. So I could see someone and pretty reliably tell the difference between an apostolic person or a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or a Pentecostal or an IFB. Interesting. Okay. And those so, are all people who are like dressing modestly and primarily wearing skirts. But from the style of their clothing, I could still generally guess which who they belong to. So, the, and this is also like why it was such a big deal when um, Michelle Duggar was seen wearing pants. It was like such a big deal that we had to like devote an entire half an episode to talking about that. Yeah, yeah. This is one of the reasons that it was a big deal. So back to the, back to the plas. So so back to the plas. Kim and her daughters always dress what what the world would consider modestly on the show, at least until the daughters start getting out. Well, Mariah in particular, gets out and starts leaving her control. 
A lot of the daughter's clothing choices are very IFB approved, but there are little details that I see that set them apart from mainstream IFB. And I'm primarily looking at Kim and Lydia's outfits because Lydia, as we will talk about later, seems to be the most devout of the older kids that we do see on the show. Lydia and the rest of the daughters usually wear skirts, but Kim is often seen in capris. So pants are not off the table for the plaths. Lydia does later wear jeans on the show more. Kim and Lydia are both often seen in sleeveless shirts, like tank top style shirts, which was a definite no-go in the IFB when I was in. Although, based on the fundies I know on social media, that may have relaxed a little bit in the time that I've been out. They never change. They never <laughs> change their standards. They never get more lenient because they never comp- never change, never compromise. Wear jeans and t-shirts to youth conference. Never change. Never compromise. Uh, I saw the youth. Co- I saw the the videos from First Baptist Hammond Youth Conference this week, and they're all wearing jeans to youth conference now. Which wow. is so not allowed, like jeans and t-shirts. And the boys aren't even tucking in their t-shirts, which was so, so not allowed. <laughs> you feel bitter about the fact that you had to wear like modesty panels and like hosiery and like... A uh, little. I, I, I feel I feel bitter about the hose. Yeah. I spent mm. so much money on hose and clear nail polish to repair the hose in high school. <laughs> And it's in the middle of the, it's like in the summer and it's in like Northwest Indiana. It's going to be. It's muggy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's not. It's if, if anybody ever wonders why I have such a strong preference for comfortable clothes now, I feel like you don't have to look very far to figure out why. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Lydia and Kim, uh, their fashion choices. I notice generally lower necklines on both Kim and her daughters. It's nothing scandalous. It's not showing cleavage. It's definitely modest by normal people's standards. But it's lower. It's distinctively lower than what the Duggars would wear or what IFB would have worn when I was in. So you're not seeing them wear like the the modesty panels that clip into your bra strap. Right. So if they have a modesty panel or a tank top on at all to make the shirt go up higher, it's more like four fingers from the collarbone. Um, half of our audience doesn't know what four fingers or four finger roll or the three finger roll means. Half of our audience knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's fine. <laughs> Do you want to explain it to the the half that doesn't? Yeah. So um, if you touch your chest right below your neck, where your collarbones meet in the front, there's like a little U-shaped divot in the front of your neck. If I'm you, doing this right now. Yeah, so put your hand flat on your chest where your your first finger, um, like as if you were going to shake hands with somebody, but then you or you're going to pledge allegiance. Um, not that any of us do that. Um, but your first finger should be right at the bottom of that little divot in the front of your collarbone. So my pointer finger. Your pointer finger. Yeah. And then if it's four finger rule, your shirt has to be higher than the bottom of your pinky finger. If it's three finger rule, it has to be higher than the bottom of your ring finger. Okay. So four four fingers is liberal. Three fingers is better. Uh, Duggar is more like two fingers. But that changes depending on how big your hands are. 
Don't tell the fundies that. They don't know that. (laughs) They haven't realized that yet. Do they have tape measures? No, you just have to put your, you have to do that with your fingers. Um, Just like you have to kneel on the floor to do dress check to see if your skirt hits ground. Yeah. Oof. Yikes. Yeah. So that's, it's a dress check thing. I probably just triggered a bunch of people. Sorry, y'all. So as far as neckline stuff on Kim and Lydia in particular, I see a lot of neckline cutouts. One of the most recent promos that has Kim and Barry sitting and talking about whether they're going to divorce or not has Kim in a bright pink shirt. And it's got the neckline detail is like a woven detail with little squares cut out of it. Yeah, that is a, that is not allowed. Not IFB approved. You don't no cutouts around the neckline. It's way, way, way too sensual. That's an eye trap. If I ever I saw one. Yeah, that is a hundred percent not allowed. Uh, there, I'll, I also see like um, there are quite a few. Lydia really likes the cold shoulder cutout tops. Also, one thousand percent not IFB approved. Um, but I also see like uh, embroidery on shirts or logo placement. That would be a definite no for like the fundiest of mainstream IFB. Fashionable. I personally really don't like it. And I don't really? know why it bugs me. But I'm hmm. glad that there are people who like it and enjoy it. I don't I, I don't hate it. I, I feel like it's it's a little. It really you know. bugs me. And I don't know why. Uh, hmm. I feel like I, I feel like I would just rather have it off the shoulder top and call it good. Really? Yeah. But huh. once again, I'm not telling anybody what to wear. Y'all do whatever makes you happy. Yeah. And and then we're going to talk about like this tea party that happens in season two. But Kim's dress for that was definitely not Fundy approved. Woo. My goodness. Yeah. Oh, man. I saw the clip. I, I did see the clip. No, but they all, they all live on a farm. They live away from other people. So who, who are they dressing modestly for? Gavi, that's a stupid question. <laughs> Because fundamentalist in, in fundamentalism, girls have to dress modestly no matter who is there because they're trying to prevent their father and brothers from lusting after them. I feel like every time this comes up, you immediately scrub it from your memory because it's so gross that you do not want to have it in your brain. That is 100% accurate. I swear I've told you this like four times. I am like, I am never going to get used to hearing that. I like just to totally honest, I'm never going to get used to hearing I mean, it, I'm, it's it's 100% true. I wish it weren't, but my brothers had never seen me in, like, a tank top or shorts until I started getting out of fundamentalism. If really? I Yeah, if I slept so toward the end of being in fundamentalism, I might sleep in, like, pajama shorts, but I had to change into a skirt or put a skirt over if I needed to, like, leave my room and go to the bathroom or go get a drink of water. It's incredibly creepy and gross, but that's just how it is in fundamentalism. So speaking of these kids, there so there's nine of them. And yes. they and many of them are in various stages of getting out or or not getting out. Yeah, okay. So Ethan, Hosanna, Micah, and Mariah are the kids who are adults. Lydia just turned 18 a couple months ago, so she's still a wild card, but Ethan, Micah, and Mariah are all getting out. There's not even maybe. Like, they're getting out. Lydia's a maybe. Hosanna still seems to be very, very fundy. But she's not seen on the show because she lived out of state with her husband before the show started filming. We are going to talk about her in a minute here. 
Yeah, I mean, Micah and Mariah, they're like out, out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Super out. Like when we talk about getting out, this is like, like actually, we're, we're talking about like actually getting, like Sadie getting out. We're not talking about like Duggars getting out, like, oh, I'm going to marry a Calvinist. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> um, when we talk about plots getting out, we're talking about, um, Drinking whiskey straight out of the bottle, modeling, uh, disowning their family on national TV, pole dancing, getting out. Like, yeah. So, so we're doing like this is like real deconstruction on television. This is like the spicy stuff. Oh, yeah. And like this is this is why like th- this show is objectively 1000 times better than than uh, any of the Duggars TV shows. Just like ob- objectively, it is a, a better a television program. I like wh- I don't understand why the Plaths would like why Kim and Barry would agree to do a television show if their kids are getting out and becoming extremely not fundy. I don't think the Plath parents saw it coming. In the very first episode, so when the show started, oldest daughter Hosanna was already married to a very fundy, very approved man. Ethan was married to a formerly fundy woman, Olivia, who did seem to be a lot more relaxed than her IBLP upbringing, but I don't think the parents had any concept yet how much Ethan and Olivia were deconstructing. So what, they, like, Kim and Barry sign up and they think that they're like, okay, well, Jim, Bob, and Michelle are basically off the air, kind of, because of the whole Josh fiasco. We can just kind of slide into that TLC vacancy that they've left open because people i guess still want fundy content well they were trying the the premise of the show wasn't really we're a big religious family the premise was we are a big sheltered family like the premise all the promos are you know kim and barry plath live with their nine children on a family farm and their children have never had soda and they don't know who spider-man is like that was their pitch Hmm. their pitch wasn't religious family their pitch was crazy sheltered family and I don't, I, I think Kim just wanted to be on TV, plain and simple. We are not licensed medical professionals and we don't armchair diagnose on this show. Except when we did with Jack Hiles. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't armchair diagnose living people. I feel like I can say with confidence that Kim Plath shows a lot of traits that a person with a narcissistic personality disorder would show. Do you have any specific examples pretty much every every scene (laughs) every scene she's on the show okay i'll tell you what i will write down some some extremely specific examples for when we do the rundown episode in a week two weeks yeah but but like uh, she she absolutely does exhibit extremely controlling behavior over her family oh absolutely absolutely i mean that, that that is like the major thing that we like so like because if you put me on tv right the ca- like every time the cameras are rolling i'm gonna try to ham it up and try to be the center of attention of like when the cameras are rolling but yeah. like not because i'm just like i need to I, like i need power over, i'm just like i want to make good tv and this is fun like you are a real big ham yes it's very middle child <laughs> However, you are also the farthest thing from controlling, which is not something that could ever be said about Kim Plath. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You are you are very, very hammy, but I don't see like that that's control. Not kosher. Huh? Oh, I said that's not kosher. 
What's the Jewish version then? I don't know. Uh, I'm pastrami. I'm very pastrami. I'm I'm a I'm a pastrami I don't think man. Th- there's got to be a Yiddish word for this. Yeah. There's there's Probably. a word for everything. Before we talk about Kim's control over her family and what the kids have had to do to escape that control, I want to tell you what I know about what kind of fundy the plots are. Okay, let's do it. They have been extremely quiet about this, like I said. And, I, and I've mentioned that a lot of the religious or doctrinal things that they say and the scriptures that they quote would sound very familiar to uh, anyone who knows a lot about the IFB or the IBLP. So are they in with Bill Gothard like the Duggars are? Not like the Duggars are. I am confident that they are not ATI. I don't think they are in the ATI program using wisdom booklets any not like that but ethan's wife olivia she she was raised like full ibl yes olivia's sisters have confirmed that their family actually was iblp yeah, we saw that on instagram a couple days ago one yeah. of her uh one of her sisters did uh, uh ngl yeah and said that they were all raised IBLP. But if we if we think back to previous episodes, being involved with the IBLP, the Institute in Basic Life Principles, is one thing. And being in the ATI, the Advanced Training Institute Homeschool Cult, is another thing. So to be in the IBLP, you have to go to the seminars and be on a mailing list. To be in the ATI, you have to submit an application and pay money. You have to say that you won't listen to worldly music. You have to say that the mom won't work outside the home. There are all these extra hoops to jump through and extra promises you have to make. Um, If the family has had any divorces, there is a bunch more paperwork. Getting into the ATI is an application process. You can actually get rejected if you're not willing to follow the rules. You can also get kicked out if the family coordinator visits and you're not doing everything right. Yeah, so they have like people who go around to ATI families' houses, and it's like social, ser- it's like reverse social services, like <laughs> social disservices. Yeah, they're like, how badly are you abusing your children? That's not good enough for us. <laughs> you're not messing them up enough. Yeah, you're not traumatizing them enough with your uh, horrible religious teachings. You're you're not teaching your children which bird is best. You're not <laughs> <laughs> birds, bees. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> no, man. If you want to know, we we do have a couple of episodes um, <laughs> where we talk about like specific stuff that we found uh, about. We have a bunch of episodes about IBLP. We actually somebody sent us a copy of the IBLP Advanced Seminar, and we got like forty pages into it and just did like two hours of of content just on that because it, we could like if we're ever like we're out of content we can always just go back and do more on the IBLP advanced no i am i am sitting in a closet full of cult materials right now we can we are going to be doing this podcast when we're 80 literally forever no like but like if you're raised ipl iblp you're just doing the like the basic and, and advanced seminar um and like going by gothard's te- but you're not doing like the the wisdom booklets Right. Unless you're in the ATI, the homeschooling cult. Olivia's family was both IBLP and ATI. So do we know if Olivia got out of IBLP and like ATI before or after she got married to Ethan? Yes, we know that she was already definitely on her way out uh, by the time they got married. 
Hmm. Olivia says that her family was uh, in IBLP. They were getting stricter over time. And this is not uncommon with fundies. That makes sense to me. But she claims that she saw the light as a teenager and helped pull her family out of the IBLP and into more mainstream evangelicalism. Her sister's stories do not match up with her story. Her sisters say that the family did leave the IBLP and ATI, but that they stayed very toxic, very legalistic, very fundamentalist, and that Olivia is exaggerating just how far out she was able to pull her family. Either that or she just like or or she told the whole story to the TV producers and the TV producer said that sounds too complicated. Uh, we really need you to dumb it down for this reality show. It's on TLC. It's not 60 Minutes. Right. And and I think you do have to remember that these TV producers are as clueless about all the levels and nuance and camps of fundamentalism as you were two years ago. <laughs> like, you understand the nuance of this so much more now but two years ago, you had that light bulb switch mentality, like people are fundy or they're not fundy. And that's it. It's an on off switch. And it, you know, which is not your fault, but you had to learn all the shades between that. That's true. And if you go back and listen to the old episodes, it's very clear how like, but like, how that's, confused you are. No, but like, that's like the whole point of the show is that we have to like have some, you, you get somebody who knows everything about something and somebody who knows nothing about something and then explain it to them as if they know nothing about it. And then, right. And now I have filled your brain with Christian fundamentalism. You, you yeah. ever think about, you ever think about, you could have lived your entire life in blissful ignorance of Christian fundamentalism had I not come along to ruin your life. No, this is a, like I'm glad I know all this stuff now. It's fascinating. Oh, good. Yeah. Good, good. Um, no, but like the, the, you do have this. Uh, like if you're one of these TV producers, you do they do, like they don't know that their view and their knowledge that they have just from like growing up in like the real world that that isn't a default knowledge that you can just like hit the reset button and have people like reset back to when they want to get out. Yeah, absolutely. So I have seen a ton of claims that the Plaths were also IBLP. I have never seen any kind of credible claim that they were ATI. I can't absolutely confirm that they were IBLP. Everybody on the internet is like, oh yeah, they're IBLP because the Duggars are IBLP. So of course the Plaths are too. Hmm. And I just, that is not enough evidence for me. I haven't seen every episode of the show, but... In the episodes I have seen, I'm not seeing like advanced training manuals just lying around their house. <laughs> I haven't heard them quote Bill Gothard or any of the the big IBLP guys. I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced that they were within the IBLP group. Would not surprise me that they had gone to some basic and advanced seminars. Like, sure. I just don't think they were that involved. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it it, do, it does make sense. I w- I'll tell you why I think it's so hard to find out after the break. So what we do know, though, is we know that the Plaths are friendly with Michael and Debbie Pearl and No Greater Joy Ministries. The, the people who wrote the, the horrible child abuse manual to train up a child and also the wife abuse man- manual, which I think is called Created to Be His Helpmeet. Not only has there been a lot of interaction between the Pearls and the Plaths on social media, but also Ethan and Olivia met at a family camp that was put on 
by No Greater Joy Ministries. So speaking of uh, Michael and Debbie Pearl, since you guys liked our episode with Shoshana about healing for the inner hurt, we're going to try to schedule in a time when we can bring her back and uh, and like sometime this fall and we're going to have her talk about to train up a child. We're going to get her back and, and, and do that because I think that would be really good content. Yeah, I am looking forward to that. As far as not being ATI, I wasn't able to find online what curriculum Kim used to homeschool her kids. It seems to me like she may have done something more like unschooling hmm. or or just like a weird mashup of whatever curriculums Kim wanted to use. Notably, the grown kids now say that their history education was especially bad. Mariah said that she became an adult without knowing what the Declaration of Independence was. Wow. Yeah. That kind of reminds me when we were talking to uh, Liz Hunter mm-hmm. back in, in, in Pride Month during Pride Month. I remember she said that she found some like old history textbook from like the the 1920s or something or, or, or just years and years, just like decades old history textbook and said, hey, mom, can I use this for history class? Yeah. Like, and their mom was just like, yeah, sure. Or- go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I feel like that's very much what what kim did except for that the kids don't actually get to go to bookstores because they don't leave the farm <laughs> right yeah so so do they question do they go to a local church or do they do like the the home church patriarchy thing they did the home church thing they only attended churches when they were on the road with the family band so this is that's very much like a, a point in the iblp direction rather than being like right ISP, like you were yeah Right, because the IFB is all about the local church. The local church is the highest authority in your life. And the IBLP and other patriarchal groups are about your father is the highest authority in your life. And that's one of the biggest places the two groups convert or um, split. So the Plath Doctrine is Baptistic, but they weren't affiliated with a local IFB congregation Home church families, in my experience, are typically one of two major types of family. Either, number one, the parents can't find an IFB church that is strict enough for them, or two, the parents are so paranoid about their children having any kind of outside influence from other adults or other children or anyone at all that they are too afraid to let them be involved even with an IFB church. And so I take it from... uh from just like my observations that they're probably going to fall into the second category. Yes. These are parents so paranoid about anyone other than them having influence on their children that the kids had never had soda, seen a movie, didn't know who superheroes were. They were truly isolated on the family farm in rural Georgia. I don't know if we've said this before. They're in Cairo, Georgia is where they are. I think they say it Cairo, Georgia on the show. Cairo? Cairo? Egypt is in the Bible. They can pronounce that right. Let me it's see. It's in the South. <laughs> I do want to point out, though, that this is in line with a lot of the teachings in the IBLP and Vision Forum and like the, the overlap between those two groups. We know that the IBLP and Vision Forum aren't the same thing, but we know that there's a lot of overlap, uh, especially when it comes to like the patriarchal and family teachings. IBLP preachers and leaders were featured in the Vision Forum catalog that we looked through. Vision Forum people spoke at a lot of IBLP events. They diverge over education because the IBLP is more about like, you don't need book knowledge, you need spiritual knowledge. All knowledge is spiritual knowledge. 
And then Vision Forum is more about a classical education, which means that your kids speak Latin at age 12 and learn about how the Titanic is a model of chivalry, um, along with a whole load of racist BS. But what these groups have in common, like where they are the same, is the idea that there is no better teacher or influence or friend for a child than that child's parent. And that really overlaps with the Plaths as well. Whether it's truly religious reasoning behind it or just narcissistic tendencies or paranoia, whatever's behind it, Kim Plath wanted her and her husband to be almost the only influence over their children. Okay, so I'm looking I'm looking at this up right. Cairo, Georgia is like 35 miles north of Tallahassee. So the, the closest right. the closest major city is Tallahassee. So they're like out there. They are they're in the boonies. They they're they're growing up truly isolated. Yeah. In the sticks. They're isolated to the point that I never heard of the children going out to witness to others. Um, I don't think Kim and Barry even go out and like I don't think they go door knocking or do any of those like very classic IFB things. So when it comes to like finding husbands, finding wives for their children. Are they going to go about it in the same way as Jim Bob, where, you know, he, he's going to go look for another godly man at one of these IBLP conferences and be like, you have a son or a daughter. I have a son or a daughter. Let's join our two families like is, is like <laughs> Robert Baratheon. So yeah. Ethan and Olivia met at a church camp and then Olivia and her family visited with the Plaths. Apparently, Kim and Barry were hoping that the two of them would hit it off. But they formed their own connection over time, and they did fall in love. So that is a very Duggar-style romance there. We're going to circle back to Ethan and Olivia so much more in part two. But I want to talk about Hosanna Ploth Noble and her husband, Timothy Noble. Because while you had COVID, I did an incredibly deep dive into Timothy Noble. And that gave me so much insight about what kind of fundamentalist the plots might be by virtue of seeing who they associate with. Yeah, and and Sadie did put like quite a lot of information like effort into figuring out exactly what camp of IFB they're all in. I'm extremely proud of this. Let's go take up the offering. When we get back, I'll take you down the extremely long rabbit hole that I went down on this. Sounds great. Let's do that. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How well would you take care of your car if you had to keep the same one for your entire life? I know I would never miss an oil change or a tune-up. 
Well, that's just how our minds work. But so often we leave our mental health neglected and we don't make it a priority. Taking care of your mental health changes the way you go through life. Without proper maintenance, small setbacks become major catastrophes. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping our minds healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or getting a good night's sleep. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Therapy has helped me be more successful in pretty much every aspect of my life. Being able to properly process my life experiences has allowed me to be more productive, happier, and more creative. BetterHelp provides online therapy and offers video, phone, and even live chat therapy sessions so you don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Eden. That's BetterHelp.com slash Eden. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back from our break. Uh, we, we're talking about the Plaths, uh, Kim, Barry, Hosanna, uh, and we're, we're talking specifically about what kind of fundy the plaths are or what kind of funny they may be we think maybe possibly this is new information nobody knows this you heard no, i am the only person in the entire world um so this is where you feel free to imagine me as that guy with the all the post-it notes on the wall with the like the red strings going between them you mean charlie from it's always sunny in yes. philadelphia yes looking for pepe sylvia yep yeah okay here we go so Hosanna, the oldest Plath daughter, second oldest child, met Timothy Noble at the National Quartet Convention. The NQC was a thing that the Plaths attended in conjunction with their whole family band thing. The National Quartet Convention is a huge yearly gathering for Southern gospel music. Listener Sarah is squealing right now, I'm sure. It, it is focused on old school quartet music, but it's not only for quartets. It's for all Southern gospel music performers. So like, for an example, the Gaither Vocal Band, one of the absolute biggest names in Southern gospel, they're not a quartet. It's a Southern gospel music convention that's quartet focused. Interestingly, uh, so Tim and, Tim and Hosanna meet at that they get married. Timothy and Hosanna's wedding is where we see the the tenuous friendship between the Rodriguez family and the Plath family for the first time. Oh, yeah. Jill Rodriguez is famous for blasting her very small connection to the Duggar family all over social media. She's also well known for leaking the invitations for one of the Duggar girls' weddings online. She was invited to Timothy and Hosanna's wedding because Nuri was a bridesmaid. So, so they're like close, close. Yeah. So Nuri and Hosanna are close. And then Hosanna was a bridesmaid in Nuri's wedding as well. 
We don't know when this friendship started or how good of friends the parents were or if this was just a friendship between some of the Rodriguez girls and some of the Plath girls. Kind of hard to tell. But we, what we do know is that Nari and Hosanna are very close friends. Apparently, Jill live-streamed Timothy and Hosanna's wedding on the internet without permission and posted pictures before the bride and groom were able to. That is such an on-brand move for J-Rod. That is like the most J-Rod of J-Rod things to do. Yeah, it's- she also... um <laughs> She also made Marie wear a modesty undershirt under her already modest bridesmaid dress, like kind of just to flex. Damn. So that's like, wow. So that's like the, the, the fun, the equivalent of wearing like two watches. You know how, how you see rappers wear two watches on Instagram? Like, and they're yeah. both like, they're both like the bust down models with like the, the diamonds in them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> So so it's it's basically from the woman who brought you live streaming a funeral for someone she didn't know well, a funeral for her sister's legs, and leaked Duggar wedding invitations, we now present live streaming a wedding against the wishes of the bride's family. Like I, I I've gotten to the point where I've stopped getting mad at J Rod for acting like you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I like I I kind of feel bad for her at this point, but not really because it's so funny. Like did, did you see the okay, this this actually is not funny. But did you see the grandma feet pics thing that she posted like two weeks ago? Yeah. So for people who who are blessed oh, enough God. not to know everything about Jill Rodriguez. By the way, we have an episode that's all about Jill Rodriguez. We I have a whole called, episode on her. <laughs> it's called Jill Rodriguez is extremely messy. We did it like seven or eight months ago or, or like back in like October or November or something. You can you can look it up. <laughs> By all means. So so to, to catch anybody up who doesn't know about the, the feet pics thing, um, Jill's mother has suffered a brain bleed, which is not funny or snarkable. Uh, she's in the hospital, which is not funny. Jill is posting a lot about it, which is a bit more snarkable. Of course, Jill. Hmm? That's just on brand for Jill. Like to- Jill loves to post pictures of people in the hospital looking like hot garbage because they came in like, within an inch of losing their life. She did it to her own daughters, and now she's doing it to her mother. In classic oversharing fashion, Jill is posting pictures of her mother's feet because she did her nail polish. And Jill said something like, I was so happy that I got to serve my mother in this way. So not only is she posting pictures of her mother when her mother can't consent to having pictures taken or shared to Jill's thousands of followers uh, in a vulnerable state, she's also making it all about herself and like the service that she did to her mother. So A of all, I think it is highly likely that because Jill and Kim are both very good at making like everything about themselves, that they're probably best friends. Uh, that's just that or they hate each other yeah that or they because they keep taking each other's time (laughs) no but like second like in this in this picture like she's it's like just a picture of a foot with like admittedly very nice looking nails on it uh but like you can see the foot has a hospital bracelet on it and the caption is Something like these are the feet of the hardest work- working like woman I know, or so, which is like it's a nice caption, but the fact that it's like these are the feet of is what makes it f- like very very weird. I I know I know this is an episode about the class, but this J Rod thing is so bizarre that like I cannot 
not bring it up. No, that that's that's fair. J Rod is has intertwined herself with the plots, and therefore it is fair game. You know, and and, and I know we but we both know people who are just like eternally online, and they believe that their every thought and their every like uh, amusing needs to be documented and everything they do needs to be documented. But then I, I feel like if you combine that with somebody who grew up fundy, which means you're somebody who grew up with zero boundaries and zero sense of what is and isn't appropriate to people in the outside world, then, and like Instagram is also accessible to everybody in the outside world. And then they like, like that's kind of what I see going on here with J rod. So I just kind of stopped being mad at her anymore. I'm just like, she doesn't know she gets hella attention, but all the people she gets attention about this stuff from her are people who are just like, yeah, she's just such an extreme example of this. I, and I, I do want to point out that I don't think it's that she thinks every thought has to be documented. I think she sees herself as a Christian hero. So not only do her thoughts need to be documented, she's thinking that she's inspiring others in their faith. Like she thinks of herself as like a leader or someone to look up to. So if she has something good happen, she has to post about it. Like, uh, see, God blesses you if you are as righteous as I am. And if she has something bad happen, like her mom being in the hospital right now, she has to document it because it's, see, God will sustain you through horrible tribulations. Mm. I mean, honestly, I think Jill is a product of fundamentalist misogyny. Yeah. Because if she were allowed to be a pastor, I think she'd be maybe less insufferable. <laughs> so so we may we may run back by J-Rod on the way out of this episode, but I got to get back to this Timothy Noble thing. So I looked up Timothy Noble and his family using my millennial person social media stalking skills um, to see if I could nail down what kind of people they are. The Noble family, very similar to the Plath family, had a traveling group of singers and instrumentalists, a family band, and then that kind of broke up and fell apart naturally as older children started growing up and getting married. Uh, some of the Plath kids are fairly talented, but the Noble family had something that the Plaths didn't, a legitimate hmm. prodigy. Timothy Noble was an excellent pianist from a very young age. You can look up on YouTube. There are videos of him performing more recently and performing as a preteen. He's actually very good. He's a very legitimate, natural talent. He's also an extremely talented vocalist. I don't personally care for his style, but he's clearly well-trained and actually very good. Did you listen to the clip of him singing that I sent you? Yeah. What do you think of his voice? I think he's a good singer. Uh, I I don't enjoy his style, but I can certainly appreciate the 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 talent and the training that he has done. Yeah, yeah, the, the, a talented guy. If you're going to do that sort of th- like that's you know, yeah. um, and it's also very surprising because he's like he's not a big dude and he's got a really really rich baritone voice, which is always interesting. You look at him and you're like, oh yeah, that's guy that guy's got to be a tenor. Nope. Anyway, that's never how it goes. It's always like the long and lanky dudes who have just like the deepest voice. So when I say the Noble family is low profile, they are low profile. I wasn't able to find social media for any of them. Hmm. Timothy has a website that is primarily for booking him and Hosanna to play music at your church. And that's about the extent of their existence on the Internet. No social media. Yeah. So like the exact opposite of J-Rod. 
Yeah, if they haven't, it is locked down or it is under fake names. Uh, I didn't even find a business page for the family band or a business page for Timothy and Hosanna. I respect that. No, I totally do, too. So looking further into Timothy Noble did give me some good leads. I found an old news article about him playing piano for a community event when he was a teenager. That article mentioned where he attended school, which was bingo. So he attended Temple Baptist Academy in Howard, Ohio. It didn't mention where the family went to church, but in fundamentalism at large, it's most common that a family who would send their kids to an IFB Christian's private school would attend the, the church that sponsors the Christian school. And if it's truly a fundamentalist school, it is always going to be sponsored by a church, um, like how my church and my school were the same entity, because the local church is the greatest authority in your life. And the school is not valid unless it is under the umbrella of a local church, just like how Hiles Anderson is under the umbrella of First Baptist Church of Hammond. So what camp of the IFB is, uh, what, what is it, Temple Baptist Academy in Howard, Ohio? Who are they under? So they are connected to Mount Vernon Baptist Temple in Howard, Ohio. I dug into that. Mount Vernon Baptist Temple does not have independent fundamental Baptist prominently on their website, but that is becoming much more common, especially as there's so much bad press about the IFB right now, deservedly. Um, So I looked into the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple website. I read the bio of their current pastor. Their current pastor had tons of IFB buzzwords in his bio. The church website did say that they're KJVO, but what was in the pastor's bio that really perked my ears up was local New Testament church. Huh. That is that is IFB. Why? Why why is local Because that New is Testament. a buzzword and what it is connected to is this idea of the church being the authority in your life. Oh, okay. And New local Testament New Testament church, church means IFB. Also in his bio was that he attended Crown College, which okay, is so definitely IFP. Yep, there we go, IFP. Another staff member, so further confirmation, another staff member at Mount Vernon, Mount Vernon Baptist Temple now, and this may not be the same pastor as when the Noble family hypothetically attended there, uh, but it does say a lot about like the church is only going to hire pastors from the same kind of generational line of pastors. So... Another staff member who is currently at Mount Vernon Baptist Temple went to Ambassador Baptist College, which is a smaller IFB college. I think we have people who went there who listen to our show uh, and are in the Facebook group. Uh, The beliefs page on the Mount Vernon Baptist Temple website says that they are KJVO. So I think with all of this, it's very safe to assume that they are indeed IFB. They also specify being pre-trib rapture and pre-millennial if you needed any extra proof. It's just got IFB written all over it. So I can't say if this church is formally associated with the IFB movement. This could be a church that got fed up with SCOP or got fed up with Hiles and distanced themselves from the term IFB, but were not wild enough to join the NIFB. This is an IFB church, though. Absolutely. So another point, this is just an interesting tidbit that I turned up on the church website, but it's another point in the IFB column. The staff member of the church who attended Ambassador Baptist College, his bio on the church website proudly states that he moved his wife and two-week-old baby across the country to work at their Christian school. And if anyone is not only going to do that thing, but also brag about it, 
it's they gotta be IFB. This this, this man moved his two week postpartum wife across the country. Yep. What? Yep. I mean, you and I, you saw me when I had when I was two weeks postpartum. And I'm real tough and I had an easy recovery, but you can tell people I was in no shape to move across the country. You were like, you like came down from your apartment building and you could hang out with me for like 20 minutes before you needed like and, sh- and show me the baby basically before you're just yeah. like, no, nah, I got I got to go back up. I'm like, I'm done. This is it yeah. for the day. No, like you were just exhausted just from doing that. Yeah. And not only did this guy do this to his wife, but he bragged about it on the church website. Like, look how committed I am to God. It's kind of the the vibe. You know, I remember I remember we'd take Chuck for walks, right? You'd come down and you're like, I, I want to go on a walk with the baby. We'd go up. This is like two or three or like four months postpartum. And we would just like walk up to the park, right? That That's like by your house. It's up like a slight hill like maybe mile, half a mile, like round trip. And you were so exhausted just from doing that. And this, this is like, this guy moved it, two weeks. Mm-hmm. Made and then bragged about it. Move across the f- country. Look, there, there are lots of guys who would be dumb enough to move their partner who just had a baby across the country. There aren't that many that would brag about it and make it out to be an example of how godly their family was. That is extremely on brand for that. Like last week's episode about burnout definitely makes more sense now. Having been able to connect the noble family to the IFB, I went back to Timothy's website. And this is where things got even more interesting. So I looked through Timothy and Hosanna's schedule of upcoming events, and I was thinking that I would find that he was scheduled at a lot of IFB churches but that's not what I found. His his upcoming schedule does have some Baptist churches that are probably IFB, but I also saw lots of other denominations, um, Assembly of God and Methodist. This is when something kind of clicked for me. I think the reason that they are so quiet about what specific kind of fundy they are is that it gives them more opportunities for music. Hmm. If they were only going to perform in IFB churches, they would end up like their friend Jill Rodriguez, performing for a free buffet and a place to hook up the motorhome for the night. And then they'd have to shill plexus on the side to hypothetically feed their children. So my hmm. theory is... They don't talk about their exact beliefs because they want to be more marketable. So it's the same dealio with like why the Kellers are maybe willing to bend a few of the rules a bit. So this kind of goes two different ways, or I think this benefits them two ways. One, the nobles and the Plaths keep their extreme levels of fundamentalism on the down low so that they can perform more places This makes sense. It's a much better marketing idea than Jill Rodriguez ever had. Of course, the plots doing the same thing, like making themselves seem a little more normal so they could get engagements for their family band. I also think the plots aren't as vocal about their beliefs because it gave them opportunity to have a TV show. Because like I said near the top, the original pitch (laughs) of Welcome to Plathville was not big religious family like the Duggars. It was big homeschool off-grid isolated family. 
That makes sense. And the Duggars get so much bad press than maybe TLC is like, uh, maybe we can you get- cut down the religion even further and make it about your sheltered lifestyle. Right. And the plots were like, absolutely, let's do it. So, okay, question. How, how common do you think it is that extremely fundamentalist people will kind of couch their beliefs to fit into society? Or or is that because I, I know that what you've told me about the IFB is that like that idea of separating yourself from I say like couching your beliefs would be antithetical to the whole like, right. point of the IFB. This it isn't the way that any fundies that I knew did it because the fundies that I knew and that I was a part of were all about you are supposed to look weird and different. We're called by God to be a peculiar people. If people think that you are a regular person, you're doing it wrong. So are there any like Christian fundamentalist denominations that have that kind of flipped? You like you don't like mm. what happened with Doug Phillips and the Vision Forum? You know? I don't know of anyone who is super evangelistic and doing the be attractive to the world and sneak in the gospel thing. I th- I don't think there's a direct reverse of that. May- well, maybe you could look at like Christian influencers like Brittany Dawn, who is surely going to get her own episode at some point after the attorney general of Texas finishes suing her. I have so much to say about this. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm kind of waiting to like find out more about the lawsuit and what's going to happen because I think it'll be more interesting. I think that Brittany Dawn looks a lot like Shayna from Love is Blind. I haven't seen the second season. Okay, well, second season of Love is Blind, there's this woman named Shayna. She is the worst and she looks exactly like Brittany Dawn. Oh, fun. Yeah. But you could look at Brittany Dawn, you could look at Kirk Cameron before he went, he's been getting more extreme, but before that, or like Sean Foyt, maybe. Mm. But it's still not a direct flip. The evangelistic or fundy or controlling denominations still want to look different from the people they're trying to convert. Even if you look at LDS missionaries or Jehovah's Witnesses, they look a certain way on purpose. More liberal denominations that look like the world, to use the fundy terminology, it's they are not intending to look normal so they can sneak attack people with Jesus. They are attempting to be normal people and live in a Christ-like way. So you're not going to see somebody who's preaching like the misogyny and the KJVO stuff and then, then the wife is in yoga pants? Um, not, not usually. Okay. And if, if the wife is in if the wife is in yoga pants, it's not so that they can look normal and attractive to bring people to Jesus. That's not the motivation. Okay. The motivation is because like her husband told her to wear yoga pants or because she wants to. So okay, anyway, that, that's it's it's much more of a thing I'd associate with like televangelists or like you were saying with Christian influencers than I'd um associate with somebody who is trying to be taken seriously as a fundamentalist i'm just surprised that like normcore fundy isn't a thing well it kind of by definition can't be it's impossible to dress and live by fundy standards and also seem normal believe me i tried really hard i don't think it's possible see but like if you're door knocking if you're like going out soul winning, if you're door knocking and somebody looks through the peephole and they see somebody who's dressed like a fundy or somebody who's dressed LDS, you know, missionary, like, you know, with the, the white shirts and, and the ties and the tie clips and stuff, or you see somebody who looks like a JW, they're going to know, okay, we're not going to answer. And then it's like, 
it's the same thing as like if you somebody knocks on your door and you see that they've got like a whole like suitcase full of products that they're trying to sell you, you're just going to be like not interested. Yeah, but what could somebody wear to knock on your door that would make you actually open the door? I don't know if they're just dressed like a normal person, then I'd be like, oh, maybe they like maybe they like need an, uh, like a glass of water or something or, or they have an emergency or something. They just their car broke down, you know? Yeah, but fundies are not able to dress like normal people because of all the mm-hmm. rules. Huh. So even if you that. tried to look normal, you'd look even weirder. Have you you've seen pictures of me in high school trying to look normal? I do not look normal. Yeah, it's just like normal on top and then jean skirt on the bottom, just like that goes all the way to your ankles and it just doesn't. And then you're still like, going to look not normal. Yeah, okay. like all all of the normal things that I've seen, the, the normalist I've seen you dressed is like jean skirt and hoodie. Right. Yeah. And the hoodie, I'm like, okay, normal jean skirt, just like it's, it's, it, it, it throws, it, th- it throws it the throws whole look the into the, into the avenue of not normal. Hmm. Yep. So I, I have one more note before we finish up with Timothy, Timothy and Hosanna here. Timothy's website is timothynobleplacepiano.com. And this, rang a bell to me and I was I thought oh surely he's not associated with Dino Kartsanakis because Dino Kartsanakis the Christian Liberace who I've mentioned to you before I was a huge teenage fan of Dino and I remember that his website at the time maybe 10 or 12 years ago was dinoplayspiano.com. So you have the URL as like a tribute to your... Uh-huh. Okay. Could it be? So I thought maybe Timothy is just a fan of Dino, but I combed through his schedule and I found out that he is a featured performer at Dino's 80th birthday party this month, July 2022. Wow. So that's like the fundy version of being asked to play piano at Elton John's birthday. Yeah, but Dino is like barely what I'd call fundy. Don't get me wrong. The fundies love him, but he's more fundy light personally, like mega church associated. He also doesn't get quite as political or deep into doctrine publicly. And I would think it's for the same reason that I think the nobles and the plaths don't. He wants to be palatable to a lot of people for career reasons. So the fundies don't ask him. Like if he's going to go play somewhere, they're not going to ask him, hey, do you believe in a pre-trib or post-trib rapture before like they buy his CD? You know what I'm saying? No, like, I mean, yes, I know what you're saying. No, they're not asking him. And you would think they would since they claim to believe that demons can get into you or your kids or your home if someone who believes a bad doctrine makes music that you listen to. But this is key. They are very quick to ignore that if it's something that they really, really want to listen to. That is strange to me. I don't know. I'm used to the fundies doing that. You know, you know how when you go on Twitter sometimes and you see somebody make a tweet and you're just like, okay, that's an interesting tweet. I want to click on this person's profile and you click on their profile and in their bio, there's like eight or nine or 10 like policy positions. You know what I'm saying? And like ideologies along Mm -hmm. with like various categories of person that they fit into. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so there's like eight or 10 of these just like all in a string in a row. And you're just like, oh, oh, whoa, okay. Like almost like as if they're like a political candidate running for like running for office and they need to list their whole policy platform in their Twitter bio. But it's not for voters. It's just for like whoever the they want to follow them on Twitter. 
It's it's just like this is just some random guy. Fundies definitely do that, but if they have a chance to claim an actual famous person like Dino who will make them look super cool and erudite and sophisticated and educated, all of a sudden they don't need that anymore. Hmm. Because his because he's valuable to them because he makes them look good. That's so interesting. In the spider web of fundamentalism, we don't have a church or a pastor or a college to tie the plaths to because they don't believe in any of those things. But we've gained some information that we can use to make some solid assumptions about them. They're associated with the nobles and the Rodriguez's, both of whom we can strongly tie to the mainstream IFB. The Rodriguez's, should I say Rodriguez's or Rodriguez? I think it's Rodriguez as as as. Okay. The Rodriguez's aren't IBLP, as far as we know. I feel like if J-Rod was super into IBLP, she would never shut up about it. But the Rodriguez's show the influence of IBLP teachings. They are affiliated with quiver sc- Quiverful, homeschooling, and courtship. And Jill Rodriguez has an on-again, off-again friendship with Debbie Pearl. Jill has, like, made her mad. Jill has shamed her daughter on social media if i'm recalling correctly (laughs) jill had a huge beef with debbie pearl but now i think jill is trying to get back in good with debbie pearl um nari and kaylee rodriguez lived with debbie pearl for like a year one time for something so like i don't know maybe the rodriguez's and the plots are connected through the pearls who knows so the rodriguez they are iblp adjacent because Mm. we you know they they do practice quiverful as far as we know and as we've talked about quiverful uh, is much more associated with the iblp and much less associated with the ifb but there are plenty of ifb families who practice quiverful um homeschooling is much more strongly associated with the iblp and ifb families are more likely to send their kids like an ace or a becca christian school out of their church but there are plenty of ifb families who homeschool courtship is much more heavily associated with IBLP vision forum type people. But there are plenty of IFBs who do courtship. The Rodriguez's do. So right at that lake, IBLP adjacent fundy IFB is that's where the Rodriguez's are. And we know it. And I think we can put the plots there, too, because we know that the plots were at least hanging out with IBLP families at the kinds of camps and conferences that they went to. And IBLP families are not only supposed to associate with other IBLPs, but they are only supposed to associate with people who are who are close, people who have very similar beliefs, if not the exact same. Hmm. So on one side, we can put the plaths firmly IBLP adjacent. They're also associated with the more fundamentalist side of Southern gospel music, which is outside of what the IBLP would recommend. Uh, Even in the IFB I grew up in, which was much more moderate, we weren't allowed to listen to any modern Southern gospel music. Why, it has drums? You remember I played that song, We Want America Back for You, on the July 4th episode? Oh, God. We had our own covers of that because the arrangement I played for you was too sinful with drums. Something is wrong with America. That one, yes. Um. The plot, and that's that's what makes me think more IBLP adjacent than 
strict IBLP because that style of music is not allowed in the IBLP, in most families at least. Their parenting philosophy, though, has a ton in common with Vision Forum and IBLP and patriarchy. Although, I just don't think we can guess that they formally belong to IBLP. Of course, they are buddies with the Pearls, and I can't imagine a more scathing way to say that somebody's parenting is probably awful. We're going to talk all about their parenting next week. Oh, God. Yes, we are. <laughs> or not we- next week, a week, uh, two weeks from now. So this has been just so much on background, like figuring out who these people are. I want to talk about the events of the show. And I'm excited to get to that. I feel like the deep dive into the fundamentalism itself was something that I have not seen a lot. And I really wanted to do that because when fundamentalism affects and informs every aspect of a person's life, understanding their beliefs tells you a lot about them. I think at this point, our audience probably sees the value of this like I do. Whether you started like me with a lot of knowledge about the different camps and in groups within fundamentalism or whether you started more like Gavi where you knew less about it, I think at this point our audience can appreciate why this means something to me. I know a lot of people, uh, they, like people who are listening now, you want to hear us talk about the specific things that happen in the show. And that is coming week after next. We've got part two of this episode where we get into, we break down into the major plot lines. We talk about Ethan and Olivia cutting off the parents. We talk about Mariah's music and, and modeling and, and all that stuff she's trying to get into. We talk about Micah going to the strip club. I feel like Micah (laughs) going to the strip club is going to be a major plot point of our episode. Honestly, I feel like Micah going to the strip club should almost be its own episode, but we like, uh, it, it was like, I, it was so fun. It was so fun. Anyway, um, next week, what we've got coming up is we've got an episode, like I said at the beginning, about learning how to date like a normie, I guess, or whatever. Learning how to date in, in a way that works for you if you're coming out of fundamentalism or if you're coming out of like one of these groups that's like, you know, that that teaches you that men and women can't be in the same room together or, you know, is, is hella into courtship or whatever. We're, we're going to talk all about that. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be interesting. So make sure that you hit subscribe and make sure you tune in for that one. Uh, make sure you check that out. Anything else we got to say before we wrap up? No, I think we're good. All right. Yeah. So if you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, uh, you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You will hear an extended version of today's episode. Um, and there's going to be quite a bit of fun stuff that ends up on that extended version and an extended version of many of our other episodes. Uh, most of our other episodes, I do believe. And you can find uh, uh, Sadie's writings about The Handmaid's Tale. So if you ever want to know what an actual cult survivor thinks about The Handmaid's Tale, uh, you can check that out on patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can go and join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can follow the show on Facebook, Instagram at leaving Eden podcast on Twitter at leaving Eden pod. Sadie, do you want to plug your social media? Sure thing. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music. You can follow me on Twitter at Hell Yeah Sadie. And you can follow me on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G A V R I E L H A C O H E N. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, we'll hope that you tune in in the future. It's going to be good. Bye bye.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.